Hello, this is Caleb Keith, the director of the 1517 Podcast Network, with an important announcement from the network to you. During the month of June, your favorite podcasts from 1517 are going to be participating in a podcast fundraiser. During this time, we are seeking to raise $50,000 for the 1517 Podcasts. The 1517 Podcast Network has created free gospel-centered content for over five years. We have new episodes of our 19 podcasts coming out every day of the week, and we never fill them with ads or place them behind a paywall. That's why this June, we're asking listeners across our shows to support 1517 and the teachers and creators behind your favorite theological resources. Your support directly impacts our ability to build and maintain podcast content that was listened to over 6 million times last year alone. Thank you to the listeners who enjoy and share our podcast, and a special thanks to those who financially support our shows. We hope that you consider supporting this podcast and the rest of the network during our June fundraiser. And again, that goal is $50,000. One of the easiest ways you can help is by signing up for a monthly reoccurring donation. All you have to do is follow the support this show link at the top of the show notes or go to 1517.org slash donate dash podcasts to support your favorite shows. Again, we appreciate your support. Enjoy this episode of your favorite 1517 podcast. faithful soul, expect death in every hour, for it lies in wait for you in every hour. In the early morning when you get up, consider that this could be your last day of life. In the evening when you are about to lie down to sleep, consider that this could be your last hour on the earth, last night on the earth. Whatever you do, whatever you undertake, always first consider and determine whether you would do such a thing if you were going to die in that hour and arrive at God's judgment. Do you suppose that if you do not consider death, it will cease approaching you? Do you suppose you will summon death if you think about it? Whether or not you have thought about it, whether or not you have spoken about it, death is always pressing upon your neck. Life has been given to you on loan, not as a rightful possession. In the same condition you entered the world, you will leave it. Naked you came, naked you will depart. Life is a pilgrimage. While you have wandered around here for a time, you are nevertheless going to return to the Lord. You are indeed a tenant dweller in the world not a perpetual lord of it. Consider every single hour in which you hasten to that moment. The union between Christ and the faithful is so close that it is unable to be dissolved by death. In that dense shadow of death, the flickering wick of divine grace shines brighter before them. In the perilous journey of death, Christ provides delegations of angels for their protection. The bodies of the saints are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not permit that, the, that that temple of his, of his to be thoroughly destroyed by death. The word of God is the seed of incorruptibility. That temple is not destroyed through death, but is hidden in the hearts of the pious, and he will vivify it in his own time. Uh, that is from John Gerhardt's Sacred Meditations. 
Uh, he has a couple devotions, meditations on death, that is from uh, 43, concerning daily consideration of death. Meditation on death is life. And uh, that represents, I would say, um, a fine Christian tradition of discussion of the Ars Moriendi, the, the art of dying. Uh, one of Luther's early works is on preparation for death. And uh, I don't know if it's because I was out in the Pacific Northwest where we got grunge music from back in the day, you guys might remember, um, and being disillusioned was the way to keep it real. Um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, I still think, is one of the greatest music videos of all time. But uh, while we were out there, while I was out there, Michael and I were brainstorming on episode ideas. Jason, of course, is not here because this is probably considered work. Um, and so we decided, I decided, I, I said, let's do, and then Mike said, okay, um, we're going to do death. And then the next episode is going to be disappointment. And then the next episode is going to be despair. Uh, and Mike joked when we were messaging in Telegram, that sounds very, uh, what did you say, uplifting. Mm-hmm. And the hope is that it will be because in the face of these three things, death, disappointment, and despair or doubt, I, I wrestled with which way to go on that, um, this is where the gospel shines. And so, welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a not depressing podcast about living freely in a world given back to us, uh, even in the midst of death, uh, about what real life is. And so today, um, we are joined uh, in Jason's chair by our dear friend and colleague here at the college, um, our fellow ambassador of Christ in uh, campus ministry, the CMO. I often say that to people, the CMO, and then they say, what is that? And I say, it's campus ministry. Um, the Reverend Gregory, uh, Greg, what's your middle name? I have two of them. Do you Curtis, really? Andrew. Gregory, Curtis, Andrew, Lyon. Um, welcome, Gregory. What a pleasure. It's been a while. I think this uh, gives you still a lead over Nate as far as campus pastor appearance totals. Well, and if you look at, at the back of this door that I'm staring at right now, I see my picture with an autograph on it. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that makes me even more valuable. Although Michael put it a little bit below his. Oh, yeah. Oh. I didn't notice that. Sorry. We probably should have put them next to each other. Well, you're still up there, it. though. I'll take it. And I am up there. You're, and it you're is right signed. by the knob. Yes. So when people I will be the last person in, they see. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's optimistic. Very good. Um, I don't know what Michael just... Oh, CMO, if I had that cued, I would play that. Thank you. That's a good one. Um, so, Gregory is able to join us for this uh, first one, which we are appreciative for. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit death. Um, I will set the stage when we get into the main topic, but we have to keep these reasonable in length because we're recording three today because we're going to be out and about um, and not be able to record as much later, and we're trying to be responsible so that we have regular uh, content for our listeners. We are, we are climbing the charts for Lutheran Podcasts in Lithuania, if you did not know, Michael. And I want to keep that momentum going. So if you are in Lithuania, uh, we thank you for listening. Um, feel free to reach out. Let us know what's the content you're looking for. We are very willing to become very Lithuanian-specific um, in what we do here at Let the Bird Fly. Um, but I thought you'd be very proud of that, Michael. I know you often speak about Eastern Europe. 
and how you wish our numbers could be could be better there. Um, we'll have to learn like a Lithuanian slogan that we can throw out at some point. And as always, uh, props to Albania. We're stu- still doing pretty well there too. Um, lest I go too long on this introduction, Michael, would you mind giving us a disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And uh, that is what happens when I hit the buttons poorly. It's all right, buddy. I'm not going to go back and redo it either. It's all right, buddy. I, I was like bringing down the volume perfectly, but yeah. then I realized I had hit the thing to mute everybody because oh. I was going to cough. It's okay. I apologize to her. It's downright unprofessional. It's okay. Um, I hope this won't get us too many four-star instead of five-star ratings. Please do rate. I will try to make it not happen ever I'm out of sorts without Jason here. Okay. I just... Um, should I move to a different chair? I did not no, realize at I was sitting in Jason's yeah, chair. It's okay. When we don't want to uh, uh, take down the reputation of 1517, of which right. we are a part of yes, the podcast network. They've been doing a fundraiser. They are doing a fundraiser. I encourage you to uh, check that out and help support the podcast. It's amazing the amount of downloads uh, the network gets, um, the people it's reaching. Um, I know the good we get to hear, and I'm sure there's a lot more good that others get to hear as well. I'm sure Caleb gets it often. Um, so you can go check that out. There should be, I think, at the beginning, we're still running the the promo for that. So I'll, um, I'll have to make sure I put that in if it's still in that time window. All right. I apologize. But now let's get to our topic, um, happier times. And that is uh, we're all going to die, right? We, um, it's not just a rumor. Unless Jesus comes first, uh, death is a thing. And I'd like to just open it up and then I'll toss it to you guys by saying, when I think it's important to look at when we read the scriptures, the great problem people faith, face, um, the great enemy is death. Satan is a problem, right? The accuser, but all he can do is work death, right? He's an agent of death. Um, sin is a problem, but it's a symptom of death. Uh, that, that we now have spiritual death that has come into the world by the fall. Uh, death is the problem. Um, we live in a day and age, though, when people do not like to talk about death. We often hide death away. Um, seldom is, is death take place in the home anymore. Um, when I was out in Washington, I was staying with someone, and, we, and they had the kind of the front sitting room. They call it, right, the parlor um, that's where the body kind of would have been for the wake back in the day. Lots of Milwaukee, Chicago homes have that little room, and you would have people gathered in the house, often a big window there uh, for people who are outside, and they could, you know, tip back their uh, Milwaukee's best and say, we'll miss you, Bob. 
Um, that we outsource our death. Right. Yeah. And uh, we, we have, and, and it's a blessing. We have professionals who deal with, with death. Um, my grandparents, uh, I think all of them died in a hospice where they were treated very well. Um, we were able to go see them. We were treated very well. Um, this was a, a Roman Catholic hospice, so there was not um, Lutheran level, but there was gospel, right, hope given. Um, but a lot of people are able to keep death at arm's, arm's length, um, so much so that like a celebrity dies and we can be overcome with grief uh, as if this was someone that we knew personally. Um, and so death is the problem. Uh, death is the great fear, if we're honest about it. And I like that Gerhardt points out, do you think like you're going to die if you think about it? And do you think you won't die if you don't think about it? Um, and the gospel does not make sense. It doesn't make sense if there's no sin, but it certainly also does not make sense if there's no death. Um, and Michael, you mentioned, so I'll, I'll maybe toss it to you to begin. When we mention death, many of us are thinking what I've just mentioned, which is we stop breathing, physical death. Um, but death is a much bigger thing than that. I'll, I'll throw it to you, and Greg yeah. can chime in too if he wants. What we mean big picture when we're, when we're talking death. If I say death, everybody says, yeah, I know what that is, but it's actually very hard to define uh, just medically. Uh, is when the heart stops, no brain activity, when you don't breathe, that's definitely an issue. But um, when we talk about death from a Christian point of view, and by the way, sort of like a Greek point of view too, we're not talking annihilation, right? We're not talking you cease to exist. Mm -hmm. We are talking that there is a physical death, that the body is no longer going to um, be be animated by a soul. And so we define death by the soul leaving the body, but the soul carries on, right? Now, so that that's really tricky because especially in Paul, what does he mean by dying, the first death and the second death? What he means by death is not annihilation, not existing. And he kind of means a spiritual death that you are dead to the Lord. You're dead because of sin. You don't have the the life eternal that you, that you want and were made for in heaven, but it doesn't mean you don't exist, right? So it's actually really tricky, and it gets really tricky in Genesis too. What do you mean when death enters the life of Adam and Eve? I don't think, I don't want to get too crazy here, but I don't know that that necessarily means that when death entered the world, that meant that um, there wasn't some sort of, decay before and what i mean by decay is not a, a negative thing but you know if a if a piece of fruit is eaten you know i mean i don't want to get down and to that or it falls off the tree and is sitting on the ground right uh you know this is uh what do we mean by death well i think primarily we mean the punishment for sin yeah and when we mean physical death we mean the soul leaving the body for this temporary time before the resurrection of the dead. And so definitions are, are, are really, really, really important when we get into the nitty-gritty about death. But no matter what, because of sin, this physical death of the body, but also this spiritual death uh, that we are punished for our, our sins, 
the moment you're born, really before that, the moment you're conceived, tick-tock, you know, every second you get closer to death. And I like to picture baptism in that way, um, that you're born with this original sin, conceived with this original sin, and you were on this train towards death, and you were getting closer every moment. I like that you say train in that automobile. Yeah, Thank every, you. Every, every moment you're getting closer, and there was a procession. You're... When your parents took you to baptism, it was a funeral procession, mm-hmm. right? And then you died um, in the in the waters of baptism in a good way because your sinful nature dies in order to have life. And the connection between death and life, not just the cycle of, of life and death that we see, but the spiritual life and death cycle is really important. And by the way, I really like, that's how I look at the, the story of the widow at Nain, two parades. Mm-hmm. A parade of death going from inside the town, outside the town, through the one city gate, and the parade that Jesus was leading with his followers, a parade of life, gets to the city gate. Someone's got to give. Yep. And Jesus... It's quite the showdown, too. And Jesus does the very rude and unthinkable thing at any culture, in any time, but especially for, uh, for, for that time, uh, touches the coffin. And speaks foolishly. And, um, but... Life overcomes death at that moment, and that's such a beautiful picture of baptism. And he does the same, right, with Lazarus. He waits until, um, and we don't know for sure why he waited so long. There's speculation that some thought the body could sit by the soul for a certain amount of time. But he, he, they're in the, the full midst of mourning, of he's going to stink. He's, he's decayed. It's the fourth day. And then Jesus comes and, and speaks life. Uh, I like that you mentioned the baptismal picture there, too, and Right, that it ought to be striking to people. I don't know that we often think of it this way because we're busy taking the pictures and being happy, which we ought to be happy, and and you can take pictures after. Um, but a child's born, and as Lutherans, one of the first things we do is bury it. Mm-hmm. Drown it. Yeah, we drown it. We, we bring it to the font. And uh, teaching Galatians and Romans in the Pacific Northwest, I, I, we did 24 hours on that, and it was just a wonderful blessing. Um, but that ought to be striking, right? The first thing we do is we take this new life and then we give it death. We put it to death. Why? So it now can have life. Um, and so uh, death is a, an, a necessary component of life for the Christian. You won't live if you don't die. Uh, Greg, thoughts? Yeah, I think what's interesting, Mike, is I was listening to you talk um, Death doesn't wait for us to define it correctly, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, so death is going to come, and, and, and I think this is what makes this conversation particularly difficult, is each one of us are sitting here thinking of the people that we know, that we love, that death didn't wait for us to define their death correctly. It just happened. And um, we have a way of, of sugarcoating it, so that we don't see it. But I I don't know about you guys in your ministry, but I have experiences where I saw it. And it's it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it is an ugly thing. And yes, it's good that we have our memorial services and everything. Um, and, and so often the memorial service has a picture in front instead of a body. But there's an inevitability about death that I think is good for us to confront. Yeah. I would, I would, 
I counsel people to have an open casket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if there's going to be a cremation, you can you can do the cremation later. Um, there is the the ability to say goodbye, the importance of the body, all that kind of stuff. But also, like, you should be faced with this, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, Wade, you mentioned, and we have talked about this before in previous episodes, but the art of dying or what was a very big deal was having a good death. And we often, uh, you can take that in two ways. What do you mean by a good death? Well, before morphine, mm-hmm. <laughs> good death was, uh, I didn't have so much pain that I was wailing out loud. And if you're in, you know, if you're sharing a bedroom or if you're in a small house where grandma and grandpa is there for weeks, months, years, crying out in pain, right? Uh, you wish for a good and peaceful death. But what we really mean there is a is a death in the Lord, right? That mm-hmm. you're at peace. And so the art of dying is something just totally foreign to us because of our economy, because of our medical advancements, the fact that we can outsource uh, grandma and grandpa's care and even death. Uh, we, we, uh, we don't dig the grave, um, we don't, we, we, we hire somebody to do all of these things. And, uh, but I think more importantly that we in America, especially like pretend it's not a big deal. And so we try to cover it up with flowers and nice memories. And, um, I've often said that's a win for the devil. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we see that even with our Lord, um, that the, the early church had a, a wide variety of ways of picturing our Lord, um, you know, the good shepherd, our resurrected Lord. Um, but we see from the scriptures, right, what do the apostles keep going back to again and again is the death of Christ. Um, they don't shy away from holding, right, what does Paul hold before his people? Christ crucified for sinners. And, and there's something about the gospels and the epistles saying, don't look away. Like this is... This is ugly, and I mean, we. I always think of the, you know, the striking. I mean, it's a, been depicted a bunch of different ways by people, but the Pietas, where Mary's holding yeah. her son, you know, um, and why is that that striking? It's because the the death of her child, who's also now God, um, and and the church has, for all its warts, kind of pretty darn consistently, throughout its history until American, Protestantism, um, said, "Don't look away." Yeah. Well, and just the probably the, the the most consistent picture of Jesus Christ outside of the cross would be the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Even in in heaven, He's the Lamb. Uh, he is victorious Lamb, but um, it's a Lamb because Lamb sacrificed. Yeah. Right? And then, of course, we've we've talked about the horror of the crucifixion. We have no parallel today. Mm-hmm. Any modern form of execution is almost polar opposite than than the crucifixion, and so. The shame of it all, the the shame of death, right? The being being buried in dishonor, which and is in the Psalms really latch onto that shame aspect. If you read the Messianic Psalms, it's not just that he's dying and that yeah. stinks that he's suffering. Yeah. It's the shame they wag their heads. Yeah, and and uh, you know we think about uh, dying in honor all all the time, and uh, sometimes it can be dying with dignity. You know, in the in the movement of of assisted suicide, but also uh, uh, in, in, in a more conservative way, politically, uh, you know, the dignity uh, of dying well and having 
people remember you the right way, um, draping a flag over, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we try to say that this is an honorable thing. <laughs> well, by definition, death is not honorable. Right. It is dishonorable. And again, all of this is a win for the devil because he's convincing us that this is normal. Yeah. There was, I was just watching a, a seminar from uh, the doxology, a, a doxology seminar. And I'm going to forget the, the guy's name who was talking about it, but he was, he was contrasting the concept of the cosmos versus chaos. The cosmos carries within itself a sense of order. And, and he, he launched into art and beauty and all those things. And just the idea that we are embracing cons, uh, chaos in how we depict art, in how we define beauty. That, you know, you mentioned the grunge movement in the early 90s. They're embracing chaos, and that is their art. The chaos is their art. And I just, it's striking to me how often death, darkness, depression drives the art that we see day in and day out. As opposed to embracing the beauty of God's good created order and, you know, the way everything's supposed to be. Yeah, Deutschlander used to hit on that in class of you look at the shift that in music and in, in um, the visual arts that's, that took place, mm-hmm. um, especially post-enlightenment. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, what many people think of as modern art today, it is the, the disorder of it, of it all. And it's, it's not that that's latching on to something that isn't to be latched on to. I mean, what does Isaiah say? That people in darkness are groping about, right? And they're trying to make sense of all these things. And what are the Greeks, you know, Mike mentioned the Greeks earlier. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to give order to it. Um, and maybe that's a, a good segue into, because you guys hit on it a bit too, with death being ugly. And Mike, you mentioned euthanasia and dying with dignity is that it's very hard to talk death without talking suffering. Uh, suffering is in the world as a result of death. Um, as I believe I mentioned in the, the part from Gerhardt that I read earlier, um, death is not merely something that's on my last day, but I'm dying already. Uh, I used to kind of roll my eyes when the old guys would joke about, you know, their um, their creaks and their sighs and their groans, but... Um, it does sometimes hurt getting out of bed now. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just a morbid person, but I, I look at my age and I look at the life expectancy and I, I go, I'm way closer to the tail end than the beginning now. Sometimes I think we forget how old we are um, until it's brought home to us. Um, and so suffering as well is attached to death. And, and I think what we mean when we say that death is ugly often is uh, the suffering that precedes it um, and is connected with it, and then the uncertainty. Um, we live in a, in a time when I would say the music and the art definitely embraces the chaotic, and yet, <clears throat> culturally, we very much recoil from suffering. Uh, I, was, I remember um, I had a cyst on my back once in, in college, and I had to get it removed, and I got a spinal... And I remember waking up, and I, um, I was just feeling my legs. I didn't realize they were my legs because I couldn't feel them. And I was just walloping, like with my fist on my thigh, and the nurse came in. Um, 
And she said, what are you doing? And she, I said, I can't feel anything. I thought it was super fun. She's like, you're going to have bruises. Uh, and I was talking about that and painkillers out um, in Washington. And uh, in the context of suffering, because Felicia talks about we're going to suffer no matter what, but we often make suffering worse by, by suffering, worrying about the thing we're going to suffer or that we're trying to escape. And then the thing comes and it's not so bad. I'm going to pastor made the point that Michael already made. Uh, right, We live in an age where we can take those painkillers for granted. Uh, <coughs> we, uh, we're able to care for the suffering in ways that were not possible in the past. That doesn't mean that, that there's no suffering. It doesn't mean that at all. I've ministered to the suffering. But maybe in connection with, with death too, um, it's the suffering that makes us especially look and feel like we lost or the dying lost. Um, and, and this is where the role of the good Christian preacher um, is to speak life and victory um, in the midst of that. Often when someone has lost someone, they not only lost them in that moment, but, but they invested life into them for however long that suffering period was. Um, we've all had widows or widowers who just caring for their spouse became life. Um, and, and, and so all of this just feels like I, you know, as the kids would say, I just, like I took a bunch of L's. Right? Uh, and yet, the most moving parts of the Old Testament are the suffering servant passages often. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians, what does he do but mock death? Where is your where is your sting? Where is your victory? And maybe what I'll throw to you guys as as pastors, allegedly at least, I didn't <laughs> I don't know if I saw either of your ordinations. Uh, I would I I would sometimes have people at funerals who would apologize for crying. And I would say the shortest verse of the Bible is Jesus wept. And if you think this is crying, you should have seen an ancient funeral. Mm-hmm. You still see them in the Middle East today, where like the widow of Nain procession, they're carrying the casket down the street and, and wailing. Um, they meant it in a good way, I think. Like, I know, you know, the promise of Christ, which is Mary and Martha, right? We know that he'll be raised on the last day. Um, I shouldn't cry. How do we balance, um, no, you absolutely, it is okay to, something wrong happened here. Mm-hmm. Something that wasn't in the original order happened here. We, even as having gained something, we lost something. It's now how long, O oh Lord, as the saints mm-hmm. say in heaven as they wait for us. Um, how, do, how does the gospel break in there? What would you say to the person who's torn, looking at suffering and death with how much should I mourn or grieve? And, and does it mean I have no faith if I'm mourning or grieving? What, um, Greg, you've done a lot with counseling. Mike, you've written on this with baptism and vocation. Um, I'm going to go ahead and mute myself, and, and maybe you guys have some thoughts. If you're just, imagine the person on the other end of this microphone um, is, is the person um, grieving or the person suffering um, themselves, awaiting death or having just faced it in a loved one, and I'll throw it to you guys. I'll start with this. This isn't going to be the initial answer or the final answer, but 
um, I talk to enough people who have this sense that if I'm not living the fruits of the Spirit, then I'm not a, a legitimate Christian. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, whatever. So if, I, if I'm not joyful all the time, then I'm not a legit Christian. Um, I love that section of Scripture, but I'd really love it to go away sometimes. Um, because certainly Paul doesn't tell us not to grieve. I mean, I, I've often thought about why was Jesus weeping, and, and I suppose we could come up with any number of theories. But at, at least at the heart of it, Jesus is grieving a reality that's not supposed to be this way. Um, so I can have all the confidence in the world that my loved one is in heaven. And I can rejoice in the fact that, that uh, my loved one is standing there with Jesus. At the same time, it shouldn't have had to happen this way. Mm-hmm. But it happened this way. And, and maybe even our Lord thinks of his own looming death yes. when he confronts Lazarus, thinks of his own apostles and mother who will be mourning like the people he sees mourning. Yes. And, and this may be simplistic, but I think it's worth saying, Paul never says... We do not want you to grieve. Um, he talks about a grieving with hope. He doesn't want you to grieve like other people. Yes, yeah. yes. But I want you to grieve. Yeah. I want you to grieve. How could you not? Right. Exactly. So if, if you are emotionless when, you, when your loved one dies, that would concern me because at some point that emotion is going to come out. Yeah, you know, some people will say, I don't want people to be sad at my funeral. I want them to, you know, have fun and have a party. Um, yeah, first of all, you don't get to choose that. Second of all, they should be sad, you know? I mean, um, if they don't mourn your death, that says probably something about you and your relationship, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's just, if, if you don't, here's, here's the thing. If you downplay death, you downplay life. Because the more you downplay death, try to make it dignified, try to uh, patch over it, um, you're, you're saying that the life just wasn't that important. It just wasn't that important. And I, I think the attitude um, of the Christian should be that of 1 Corinthians 15, right? Ironically, the the great resurrection chapter probably tells me more about death than many other passages that it is to be mocked, not with, not with an overconfidence, like a trash talking, but with tears in your eyes. I just went 12 rounds with you and, uh, you beat me, you beat me a lot, but I win, Mm -hmm. but I win. And uh, that, that's, that's truly life. And, and to expand that to suffering, right? Like suffering, to be fully human in this fallen world is to suffer and to have compassion for other people. Um, you're not fully human if you have not yet contemplated the, the injustices of this world or the, the sadness of death or the suffering of the body. Um, you, are, you are something, you're something very shallow. And it's not to say um, that there's no place for joy. Um, it's just to say that real life comes with both the joy yeah. and the sorrow. And, and it's not like a, as you've called it before, Michael, a reverse theology of the cross where we just go around kind of gaunt and morbid. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, as sometimes people have gone overboard 
um, with this like um, death fascination asceticism. But it is. There is no life that's not joy and sadness, pleasure and suffering. Yeah. And, and, and true joy has to, has to have the concept of, of, of suffering, right, in this broken world, right? The, the less you suffer, the, the less profound your joy is going to be. And I think if this would be a good sermon, uh, sermon material, but it's sad. I don't want you to grieve like the mess, the rest of men. I don't want you to be joyful like the rest of men. Sure. Right? I want your joy to be um, after after going through it. Right? And I, and I, there's a great line from uh, John Douglas Hall, or Douglas. I think it's John Douglas Hall. Uh, he's now deceased. He was a Canadian Church of Christ. Uh, theologian and uh, he, he talked about uh, when he wrote about the theology of the cross that theology of the cross gives you permission to enter the darkness mm-hmm. right instead of trying to run away from it or try to run um, around it God takes your hand and says we will go through this mm-hmm. right and and it's there's so many baptismal um, overtones there too because Jesus takes you into his tomb, into his crucifixion, you're buried with him. Paul didn't have to say that. Paul did not have to say you're crucified and buried with him, but I think that's a remarkable thing. Yeah. And and, and, and then, of course, only then does the, the resurrection to new life have this beautiful meaning. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, we're at, we're at a, a Lutheran college, um, and I think we often see Lutheran education, the importance of Christian education, being about teaching kids of whatever age to live right. Well, yes, I want them to live well. I want them to live in Christ. I want them to live in grace. But I'm also preparing that 19-year-old, whether they realize it or not, for the death that to them surely seems 60-some years away, whatever our current life expectancy is. We're also preparing the preschooler um, to know even in the midst of suffering and death, Jesus loves me, uh, this I know. I think that's a pro- I think some people have a problem with that with Christianity. Um, increasingly, I see criticisms that, right that, that Christ- as in a world that is like just delights in talking about inappropriate things. Perhaps there's nothing more appropriate, inappropriate in its eyes than talking about death. I had, I had a or a, or the little child confessing, poor wretched sinner. Yeah, I had uh, right that because that hurts the the kid's self esteem, right? Which of course is backwards, right? Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I had a she's not she's a lovely person, and I I had buried a couple of her relatives not of our church, but she had mentioned how she they were dead, right? Let's see. <laughs> okay. Um, she had mentioned how she didn't like the Sunday school at her church because they were talking about the crucifixion with her little kid. Like it was just too, it's just going to be too much for him. Well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I think you, you're missing the point there, mm-hmm. right? Um, my wife will always say that um, the, the preschoolers are more attentive during, um, during the, the, the devotions about Good Friday than they are any other time, they're 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 a little bit fascinated with this, right? What exactly happened? Mm-hmm. And she takes that as a good thing, 
mm. or as an opportunity. Um, but yeah. And, and, um, with that too, right. That, uh, the joy of the, the, the brilliance of the church here is that it never lets us discuss and the scriptures never let us discuss death without life. Right. Good Friday is followed by Easter. Um, you find find Romans six. Well, it's death and life. They're both there. Um, the The scriptures recognize these two go together, and and you can't you can't talk real eternal free life without death. Um, but for the Christian, you also can't talk death without talking life. That mm-hmm. would be like only singing the first half of the song, um, or only making the first half of the movie. Um, that that it's just built in to our hymns, to our scriptures, to our liturgy, um, all of this. The resurrection is the is the chapter in the book of the crucifixion. Right. Yeah. yeah. There uh, was, if I can jump yep. in quick. Um, in my former parish, we did a, a Lenten series, and we can we can talk about the value of midweek Lenten series and whatnot. But regardless. Um, we did one on the moment of Christ's death. And we looked at all the different things that happened when Christ died. So then, like, well, what do we do on Easter if we're doing the moment of Christ's death? And you asked before, where does the gospel break in? Um, that was the first time I got to preach on Christ's descent into hell, which was just a fascinating thing mm-hmm. to really zero in on for Easter because there's, there's so much death happening but this is the day that Christ steps in and says, today is not your day. Uh-huh. And so where does gospel break in in the midst of grief? I would imagine that from Friday to Sunday, that was like the worst days the disciples had ever been through. That was a, like what uh, Simeon says to Mary, a, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Yeah, until, until, right? She was there. She, yeah, that was their worst day until they had um, council meetings in Acts chapter 2. Sorry. Um, But I think think one of the points that I'm trying to get to is that that the resurrection cuts through the grief, but it doesn't have to diminish the grief that I experience Mm -hmm. in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So... It, it doesn't. It doesn't make my sadness less than Christ. Cried that was out, my still God, the my worst God, day. Why have you forsaken me? Yes. Not like, oh, this won't last long. And that yes. it, that then informs how we speak to people who are who are suffering the loss of somebody. Yes. Oh, it'll be okay. This person's in heaven. I'm sorry for your loss. These kind of frivolous kind of statements yeah. that usually, if if people actually think about them, are insulting to the mourner. Right. Right. Like, this is not a big deal. It'll be fine. Yes. It'll be fine. But this is a great beauty of the cross and, and the resurrection, that both things can stand side by mm-hmm. side. Immense mm-hmm. grief and immense hope and comfort. Yeah. And, and, and the more you go to those, uh, extreme's not the right word, but the more you, you appreciate both, the fuller human you are. Mm-hmm. And, and I think closer to Christ in that way, if we can talk that way, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's problematic saying it that way, but you know what Christ had, had, had gone through. I, I think about that more and more like what the Father and 
well, all three persons of the Trinity go through in these gut-wrenching stories in the Old Testament. And, yep. Uh, the, the patience that, that it took and uh, the pain that it, that it caused. And, um, that we were uh, one of the few religions um, that maybe the only that can say that the divine is prayed, Lord, thy will be done, right? But if it be possible, this cup be taken from me, that one of the, maybe the only religion that can say our divinity knows exactly what we're going through. Yeah, absolutely. So let me go back to the question that you asked before. You mute yourself and Mike and I just talk to the person who's grieving, right? Um, I have been on the pastoral side counseling with couples or widows or whatever saying you're going to be standing in the line and everybody's going to give you their trite. If there's anything I can do for you, you know, all that said, embrace it. They don't know what to say. No, they don't. So smile and nod, say, thank you. Appreciate it. But now if you're, if you're talking to the person who's standing in a line, mm-hmm. we don't have enough time when you're standing in a line at a funeral to get into this kind of in-depth conversation. So you got 10 seconds. What are you going to say? You know, I, I, would tell my people say you're going to see that person in heaven if you're going to say something say something that has the word heaven in it mm. right here's to a reunion in heaven um yeah uh, you're going to see this person again um and and it may come off as trite you know um, there's hardly anything it, you can say in that setting that right, won't come off right, as trite but but at least it's something yeah, right no. and in in our day day and age i hate I hate that I just said that. But, um, well, it's because I said it. I yeah. apologize. I don't like it either, but you know, I said it. I, you know, I, our students, by the way, more and more are saying, like, uh, nowadays. Yeah. Like, you're 19. Yep. Nowadays. I'm, at 45, I'm not even allowed to say nowadays. Anyway. Um, but you know what I mean. That it actually will stand out if you say something like, you, you're going to see this person again. Heaven. Right. So, I mean, there are times when I've walked through the line and I just say, heaven. <laughs> You know, I got nothing else. Yeah. And I know you've heard just fluff for the last 30 minutes, so I'm just going to say heaven. Yeah. I, well, uh, a lot, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead sorry, go ahead. just really quick. On the opposite side, I went to uh, a funeral for a pastor who lost his wife to cancer, um, and she was relatively young. I will never forget what the pastor said to me. Yeah. Um, as he, you know, he, how many trite lines he heard, he said, Greg, cherish your wife. That's all he said, you know, and it just, I think that's the other part of death that is very helpful for us to, to appreciate the gifts that God has given yeah. us on this side of heaven. And Augustine points out that's a, a super fine line because sometimes we grieve in a way that betrays that that was an idol, right? We took that gift and made it idol. Um, but more often for the Christian, we grieve because the gift was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it was a gift of it grace. Should, it should hurt. Right. It yes. should hurt. If I can just, this I'll throw out at the end too, is I, I think, um, you know, a lot of times the challenge, especially when I've been to funerals that are not necessarily within our circles, um, and it is the more the memorial type thing, there can almost be the sense that the point of like the stories told about the person and the pictures is to give us hope mm-hmm. or to give us joy. And I think one of the things when we do our funerals well that's striking to people, and I had I I often would get comments after funerals about that was that was one of the most comforting things I've ever been to, and it wasn't because I did anything so right. It mostly was because our tradition I think emphasizes this. 
If when I could they, say our tradition, and, that's another thing I don't like saying. But. Yeah, and when they were expecting the eulogy. Right. The hope is absolutely not in the stories and the memories. The stories and the memories are, as Greg just said, that's to remember what a good gift that person was. The hope is in Christ. And so when Jason and I were in Rome and we did the catacombs tour, um, something I had known but it never struck me was the tour guide talking about the Romans always buried their dead out the city, outside the city and it was the necropolis. It was the city of the dead. Mm-hmm. And you had the mausoleums but you didn't have hope. And then the Christians start burying their dead there and they visit these graves and it becomes a convenient place to have services. And you get these drawings, these inscriptions um, of hope. And it wasn't at first like uh, the cult of the saints that later develops, but it was the communion of the saints. And I sometimes wonder if we as Lutherans could do better on that. Um, We confess it in the creed all the time. But to remember that just on the other side of the altar, and this is one of the things we do when we celebrate the sacrament, by the way, right? It's the family meal. Mm-hmm. And the whole family's there, we just don't see some of them. But that just on the other side of the altar are all those people we have lost. So that it's not, um, just as Christ is present at the supper, they're not present with body and blood, but they're not not there either. Mm-hmm. Um, they in heaven, as right we, we hear in the scriptures, they're saying, how long, O oh Lord, they look forward to the same glad reunion to which we look. Um, They've beat us there. We, we say, man, good race, you beat us there. Sometimes it took them more years, sometimes it took them less years. But it's the whole point of Christianity that Christ came to make one church, um, a church uh, militant and triumphant. From our baptism on, um, we are standing in the same grace in which those who've gone before have stood and now which they're confirmed in, um, in heaven. And so um, I know we get nervous any saint talk in Lutheranism, and, uh, but maybe we, remember, we do well to remember that communion of the saints, as Mike mentioned, heaven, and Greg mentioned, you know, we'll see them again. This, is, um, this isn't goodbye. This is Alf Wiedersehen, right? This is until we meet again. We are tempted to give a finality to that moment that it does not exist in God's eyes. Now, there's a finality to what's happened to the body for that time. But even the body, even the body will be uh, raised to be at that great reunion of, of all the saints. And so um, that, uh, I think we sometimes go, Oh, you know, that life was so short. Maybe someone lives to 40. Their life was so short, and heaven is so long for them. They did, they did not have to wait. And there's lots of joy in the waiting, don't get me wrong. I, I, I would like to wait with my family and friends for quite some time. Um, but they're with Christ, and we will be with Christ. And so uh, death is the problem. And if we don't talk about death, then you don't get to talk about Christ as the Christ to do what, who came to do what Christ was given uh, to do. I don't know, any, anything you guys have on that as we wrap up? I know Greg has to leave, but, but I do think that, that I like you guys mentioned that, mentioning, have, or we'll see them again, that this, the communion of saints, 
that we confess in the creed is not just a throwaway line. It's an unbreakable. It was an animating principle for the early church. Unbreakable body yeah. of Christ. So, if you are know where you're going, and you can rightfully hate death, but not fear it in the way that we fear something that is going to annihilate us and take away meaning from us. Well, you can let the bird fly. Amen. And uh, I'll close with, uh, from, from Gerhardt, uh, he's just good on these things, so from his sacred meditations. Um, and this one is uh, 44, Consolation and the Death of Friends. Christ showed how greatly it profits one to exit this world when he responded to his disciples, saddened that he was about to leave them, if you loved me, you would be glad. If you were sailing in a wild and vicious storm with waves stirred up by the power of the wind and you predicted a future shipwreck, would you not most speedily pray for a port? Behold, the word to- world totters and wavers, and not only its old age testifies to its approaching ruin, but also the fact that all things come to an end. And do you not thank God, and will you not be glad that your loved ones are at a fitting time spared? and delivered from the final destruction and shipwreck and the imminent plagues? In which of your hands can salvation be gathered more securely than in the hands of Christ? In which of your places can the soul abide more safely than in the kingdom of paradise? Hear what the, hear what the apostle says concerning death. Death is gain. It is gain to have escaped the increase of sin, gain to have fled deterioration, Gain to have passed through to better things. If those whom you have lost through death were very dear to you, let God who wanted to bring them to him be dearer. Do not be angry with the Lord who has taken nothing away except what he has given. He has received his own. He has not taken yours away. Do not be angry with the Lord for receiving back what he had given as a loan. The Lord alone foresees the approaching evils. Therefore he chose to look out for your loved ones lest they be entangled by impending misfortunes. The dead and the Lord rest pleasantly in their graves, while those who survive them, even those in royal palaces, are seriously troubled. If you, have a lot, if you have lost dear ones through death, believe that you will receive them again more dearly loved than before. On the one hand, for a brief space of time they are separated from you. On the other hand, for a blessed and secure eternity you will be reunited. Indeed, we place our hope in the most truthful promise concerning this life, that we are promised to migrate as those of our loved ones have migrated already to the life to come, where those loved ones will be much better known by us and also much dearer to us, and we will love them without any fear of dissension. No matter how many souls there will be and how many went before us, the great theater will receive us with joy Here it will be right to recognize the face of our people, also to give mutual words and alternating sounds. Here sister will go with brother, children with parents. No evening will end this feast day. Sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. 
I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drinker. I set him up another round. 